You're listening to the Jilted Indian Podcast, a show that examines the immigrant and first-gen South Asian American experience through politics, history, and pop culture. Join our hosts as they explore all the ways they don't fit in, reclaim their connections to their Indian heritage, and eventually say, fuck it, we're starting a feminist commune. Here are your hosts. Hello, and welcome back, Jilted Indian Podcast listeners. This is Miranda. Anju. And Pooja. And we come with love and courage to talk about the highs and lows of Brown Talk Shows. We wanted to talk specifically about Cal Penn and his new show, Cal Penn Approves This Message, and how it fits into the larger narrative of representation and non-white talk show hosts, including the impact of Hassan Minaj and the format and challenges Lily Singh is facing. Well, before we get started, Icebreaker, what is your favorite Cal Pen project? American Daisy. And I love it because it's Indian independent film. It's going to be 20 years old in 2021. And I think that was just one of those forest bias moments. But to me, he was definitely the breakout star. You can tell it was wonderful. It was camp. It launched him. And he was so well-known, he did Where's the Party Yar after that. And then that's, I think, what promulgated him into the elder statesman of the Indian Illuminati. Um, I have to say, namesake all day. Um, I couldn't believe I was, like, watching my life and my attitude on screen. He was, first of all, his, his acting was fabulous like he did such a great job he was surrounded by greatness in that cast um uh it was like a switch from anything i'd seen him do before because what had we seen him in by then what was he known for and what did he do so many spinoffs of harold and kumar so um it, it was really cool to see him doing something else and something that he put his own authenticity into um of course mira nair the Great Mirror and I are, is uh, the number one reason that movie um, exists. And again, thank you for doing that instead of the Goblet of Fire. We are not bitter anymore. Especially especially since J.K. Rowling turned out to be a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And so a, a turf. turf. Yeah. Well, <laughs> back to Cal. Back to happy things. Thank you for that side note. But back to Cal, I'll <laughs> say, you know, in the character within uh, the namesake evolved. And I was yet to do that. So it was kind of crazy to see him embrace his culture. And I was like, what? I'm not there. Like, I didn't identify with that part. And yet here I am now after what, three and a half, you know, after having done three seasons of this podcast with y'all and like evolving and embracing my culture now like i'm like oh shit i get it now i get it i get you i see you what about you anju uh cosine the namesake which was definitely pivotal um although i don't remember liking his character that much in it and i mostly love the parents so um i'm gonna go with the rather embarrassing answer of designated survivor which is yes objectively a terrible dumb dumb show um (laughs) 
I only watched the first season of it, but um, there were like glimmers of a better show that it wanted to be that was like more like West Wing. And that was the part of it that that Cal was in. And I really loved that part of the show. Um, And it was just really cool to see a Daisy dude in the White House, even though he had a super white name. But I also really appreciated that um, they addressed it at one point. And he talked about how he had changed his name to make, you know, like in order to have this career, basically, um, because of the barriers he would face otherwise. So it was it, it was a cool show and it was uh, it was definitely a different side of Cal I enjoyed seeing. That is so funny that you mentioned that because we are recording this episode the week the day after Senator Purdue of Georgia called Senator Harris vice presidential nominee and colleague Kamala la 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 at a rally. So the fact that Cal Penn's character had to change his name to fit in with hateful government bullies make sense now when you look at it but not to bring us down <laughs> i can't believe it it's a fucking protest to have your own name in congress but here we are yep with per don't i love that you made that <laughs> <Per don't>. like, <laughs> so okay we are loving on kalpen suresh modi today Before we dig into his new show, we wanted to share a little bit of his story. So, Anju, take it away. Sure. Um, He was born April 23rd, 1977 in New Jersey, which is where he was raised, too. Um, Calpen is like Calpen is his first name. Obviously, he professionally changed that to Calpen, American actor, comedian and former White House staff member in Obama's administration. Um, as an actor, he is known for his role portraying Lawrence Kuttner in the television program House, Kumar Patel and Harold and Kumar, of course, um, the, the three film series, I think, um, known for performance in The Namesake, um, also starred in Designated Survivor at How I Met Your Mother, and um, in starred in Sunnyside, which um, featured immigrant narratives. I believe he was teaching English as a second language to recent immigrants. Um, yes. Other accolades taught at the University of Pennsylvania in the Cinema Studies program as a visiting lecturer. And in April 2009, he joined the Obama administration as an associate director in the White House Office of Public Engagement. So a few gigs here and there. A few. (laughs) Nothing iconic in there at all. Nothing iconic whatsoever. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Didn't keep White Castle afloat for any reason at all. You know, Um, he had dozens of TV spots and and when I looked up his resume, there were a lot of minor roles, um, which is an interesting thing to talk about, given all of the accounts we've heard from South Asians about how hard it is to break into a character that isn't a side character or a character that isn't boxed into brown roles like doctor or terrorist. You know what I mean? So it was interesting after those conversations have happened that to see all of that in his history. He did play a doctor, but it's so interesting because I feel like he really broke out by going against that, those stereotypes by, you know, playing a character who was, I mean, Kumar, obviously, you know, like he dropped out of medical school, right? He was a stoner. And um, academically bad, I'm sure. (laughs) Yes, I do believe that was part of the storyline. But yeah, I just think it's interesting that he was, I think, the first Daisy actor to really break out in a a non-stereotypical role. True. And I think there was like the rise of Taj, some Van Wilder movie in there. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to bring that up. Van Wilder starred Ryan Reynolds and Cal Penn got a spinoff based on the character True. he played in that movie. He got his own movie. So that's significant. That that's is the significant. first time people are like, 
a brown man can lead a comedy. I think he might have been one of the first actors to show the world Indian people can be cast as something else. Like, <laughs> And that's why he's an elder statesman of the Desi Illuminati. That is true. Because literally Cal Penn walked so anybody not named Cal Penn could run. Correct. Like, can, let's acknowledge that. It took until the early 2000s for us to have male Indian a re- male Indian representation that was not accented in in things that's yeah and yep even even though Taj did have did Patank and don't get it twisted we're not endorsing that movie it was filled with like cultural appropriation and mm-hmm. really bad taste jokes right um bordering on you know a bi- inherent bias based racism so um but that was humor at that time but uh, we just wanted to show Cal some love because he's been there for almost 30 years now. He debuted in in the 90s, right? So almost, it's been yeah, almost late 30 90s, years. Yeah. Yes. Um, he has had a dozen... Wait, I'm sorry. Late 90s is only 20 years. Let's not make us older than sorry. we are, Pooja. Shit. <laughs> my bad. I'm, I went to law school because math was not my thing. So. Whatever. This past year was 10 years long. Your math That's is true. correct. Your math no, is you're correct. Right. You're right. Stupid you're right. pandemic time. So, um, yeah, dozens of TV spots, um, including ER, and apparently Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> Didn't know that. I I thought it was Angel. It it said Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's funny because on on his show he says he was on Angel. <laughs> on on Cal Penn proves his message. Are we sure he, he wasn't on both? I feel like he could have been on both. He could have been. He could have been on set, and they were just like, "Hey, can you do two two things?" <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it was the spinoff episode of Buffy. Either way, he was hanging out with Buffy. So <laughs> thumbs up, bro. Yeah. Thumbs up. Well, Joss Whedon. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean he had. You know, like we mentioned, spinoffs, but like lately, what he's been doing lately. He's a voice on Mira Royal Detective, which we can't watch because Disney hates us. But everybody we know with kids loves it. My nieces love it. I watched it because I have cable. (laughs) Um, But my nieces love it. I'm jealous. (laughs) It's really funny. Like all of my female friends who are not Indian, who have children who watch it, made a point of telling me they're watching it. So everyone in the world is watching it, except for who? Me. So, <laughs> yeah. Like, thanks, Disney. Thanks a lot. Uh, what I did not know is that he has also been doing so many documentaries. Like, he has the big picture with Cal Penn, which is on Amazon Prime. I also don't have that. <laughs> and uh, he did this giant beast that is the global economy. That's the title of it. This giant beast that is the global economy. He's an educator. So when we came upon Cal Penn approves this message, now I see this is consistent of him. Like not, It wasn't just this like gap between his time with the Obama administration and this show. He's been in it. He's been doing it. He's been educating. So... Um, the most recent thing, of course, as mentioned, was writing, producing, and starring in Sunnyside. And now we're going to talk about all of the in-betweens. Pooja? 
From 2009 to 2011, he took a sabbatical from acting to work in the White House's Office of Public Engagement, where he worked with, while they're called two groups, they're three separate peoples, young Americans, Asian Americans, and Pacific Islanders, as well as arts outreach, mostly to do, you know, get out the vote stuff, but also political engagement, because, you know, Barack Obama's whole thing with building a coalition of millennial-aged activists to help. So he also taught courses at the University of Pennsylvania and has a degree from UCLA. He also has an international studies graduate certificate from Stanford University. So that tells me no matter how successful you are, there's always a real backup plan in the works. So <laughs> go ahead, Cal Penn. How daisy is that? How daisy is that? Yeah. That's what I was going to say. It tells me that even when you were super successful in the arts, you still have to get a goddamn graduate degree to make your parents happy. <laughs> From Stanford. I mean, I'm still cursed by that um, as somebody who got music degrees. And I'm telling you, I'm positive I added years to my parents' life by switching to instructional design. <laughs> <laughs> so... He's been bucked and busy the entirety of his career. I don't think there's never been a lag or a giant gap between CalPen projects. One of the things he's been on, which I found interesting, was he was on PBS's Finding Your Roots. And it's a season four episode, um, episode five, I think. He was on with Marissa Tomei and Sheryl Sandberg. But... So it's really interesting because the whole episode is about, you know, if you've seen that show, it's about your hidden past, your hidden relatives, and mostly about American immigrants. But the thing with Cal Penn is his parents immigrated here. So they were able to go back through his mother's line. Um, and it, and because India is India, the record keeping stopped at a certain time. Within our parents' lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> Within our parents' lifetime, everything is shoddy. We talked about it in the season finale of the, you know, CAA and all that stuff, how record keeping is so, um, uh, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, inconsistent <laughs> across the subcontinent. So they lost the trail of his family because there's also, as you know, last name changes that happen. But through the oral history on his mother's side, they were able to go back and confirm through the 1700s um, his great grandparents on his mother's side. So that was pretty cool. And um, I thought that was just interesting. One of the things he talks about, and we're going to put the link in the show notes in that episode, are people making fun of his name and how or where he's from. Right. When he, you know, he was born in New Jersey and lived in New Jersey his whole life. And so whenever he got the question, where are you from? He's like New Jersey. And, you know, he talks about recognizing that question is meant to other you and all this stuff. And I just thought it was really interesting that you have a first, a second generation American on a show. And it just highlights how much we don't know about our actual ancestry. Right. Even though we know our roots, we don't know the, the back part of it, you know, even familially. And I can say the same thing about me and South America. Well, for, and, and the Caribbean, well, for one thing, the records building burnt down in the seventies. So all those immigration records from the 1800s mostly burnt up. So good times. Um, <laughs> good times. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I just wanted you to know that I, I, um, got PBS passport just to watch that episode that he was in for this episode. So, not um not a bad decision i i just i just love that the indian american story was included in that the other thing they did on that show is they did dna testing and 
Henry Louis Gates Jr. said, you're the most Indian of all the Indians that, you know, we've done this for, right? And Cal Penn's first reaction was, that's great. So that means there's no hidden British grandparent in there anyway. (laughs) (laughs) And the thing about his grandfather was that his grandfather marched with Gandhi. He was an anti-imperialist activist. That's awesome. Activist. So that made him tear up a little bit. So, I mean, that's, that's fucking cool. We'll do a whole episode on roots and ancestry one day, but I just thought, wow, here's the elder statesman of the Indian Illuminati being accepted again by mass media, PBS and things like that. So that was cool. So we talked about Cal Penn. Let's talk about the context in which he's existing in. There are, we are existing in a time right now where there were three uh, Indian led talk shows in production at the same time they are no longer on the air at the same time but we had Hasan Minaj's Patriot Act which was canceled by Netflix last month a little late with Lily Singh on NBC which is their post late late show replacing Carson Daly's show uh, got renewed for a second season earlier this year and then we have the godfather of Desi's in news programs Asif Manvi appearing on the Daily Show so before we talk about, you know, the contributions of these people, let's, you know, outside of The Daily Show, let's look at the writer's room for the these three shows. So for Patriot Act, we know Hassan, and one of y'all get the other one, because y'all know I ain't going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I got it, I got it, I got it, I got it. It's Prashant Venkata Ramanujam. Did I, did I do okay? I think so. You did well enough by the shitty Indian standards we live by. So, <laughs> thank you. Oh my god. We hope we did not get your name wrong, bro. Um, but Cal, Cal, Cal Penn approves this message. It's an unscripted comedy show about voting. So he co-writes with one other person, I believe. Yes, there's one other co-creator, I think. And one of his writers came over from Patriot Act. And then a little late with Lily Singh, she has a diverse writers' room that she, when the show was launching, I remember seeing clips of her on The Tonight Show talking about that was one of her demands for when she was launching this show. Frances McDormand, inclusion writer, hello. And she features them on the show pretty regularly and in like bits and stuff, so you get to see them. It's cool. Yeah. Yes, and they're cute. Yeah. So in case you're not familiar with Asif Manvi, he rose to prominence during The Daily Show um, post 9-11. He was the sole Muslim American you saw on TV night after night normalizing their personhood. So we know um, he's important for that reason. He's also a member of the Indian Illuminati. But in case you don't know, off screen, he's also a playwright, an actor. He just hosted the South Asian block party uh, that we attended this week. Yeah. So fun. So fun. And, you know, you know, I'm going to overuse this phrase, this cliche, but Asif Manvi walked so Hassan and Lily could run, right? Uh, Before we go on to talk about specifically Cal Penn's show, let's, you know, let's have a little eulogy for Hassan Minaj uh, and Patriot Act. I don't know how you want to do this. I think we can all either go around and talk about one thing we liked or one thing he appreciated that um, he that he did on that show. So if you don't mind, I'll start. I really appreciated that Hassan did not explain any Daisy thing that he talked about on that show. 
He talked about using a lota. He talked about different yeah. dishes. He, you know, wouldn't explain uh, various like um, cliches or anything like that. He just made a show by Indian people for Indian people and treated everybody, you know, a- as the demographic. But I think there was just a little shout out to, you know, this show is y'all understand it on a different level. And that for that, I appreciate it. Yeah, he would um, speak in Hindi and not translate it. Yeah, and that was that was that was him talking, not to me because I don't know Hindi, <laughs> but he was talking to us like that. He was talking to his people, and I just love that he didn't even stop to like translate it for anybody. I've got to say, my favorite um, thing that he did with his platform, my absolute favorite thing he did was that George Floyd video. Yes. Where he explained South Asian anti-black racism so perfectly. And it was, I don't know about y'all, but I blasted that to every channel on WhatsApp, every single multifamily channel on WhatsApp. And I like way to use your platform, way to use your platform. Like if you haven't seen Hassan's um, Patriot Act, message regarding anti-black racism um which he talks about it's not the first time but um just killer he just did such a great job and it's such an important message to hear again and again and again and if you haven't uh, shared it with your families do it do it they love watching videos on whatsapp (laughs) you might as well make them watch it you might as well share it. They'll watch every goddamn thing on there. And and if they see a brown man saying it, mm-hmm. you know, the impact it'll have. My dad recently told me he wrote a poem about Black Lives Matter, and it was in Malayalam, but he was saying that um, the name of that officer that I won't say right now because his name doesn't deserve to be said, like, he said that that name in Malayalam translates to death mm. or to die. It's close to the word for to die. And he said he he based the poem around that, that that man's name is death. And so like, wow, you know, like I, I don't want to say the correlation is between me blasting every family channel with Hasan Minaj's George Floyd video, but I cannot say that they are unrelated I cannot say they're unrelated because when South Asians speak out in favor of everyone, it is impactful. And that's what he did with his voice. Okay, so Anju, what about you? Um, Well, since we're talking about the history here, I just wanted to point out that um, it's cool that Asif Manvi was on The Daily Show. Hassan Minhaj also came from The Daily Show. So there's kind of a passing of the torch that happens there. And then when Lily was starting her series, she kind of reached out to Hassan as well for his advice. And like they talked about it, I think. So there's also a passing of the torch from Hassan to, to Lily. So I kind of, it's such a, a small community. And so we really see them kind of like lifting each other up, which is cool. Yeah, like a sibling thing. Well, speaking of Lily, let's let's jump to her real quick. Yes. I'm glad you brought up the two Daily Show alums and Lily and how they're connected. It's interesting because... It's advantageous, I think, to come from The Daily Show and to get that audience 
where Lily rose from YouTube. And I think moving from YouTube to mainstream is a little more challenging. Going from mainstream to mainstream is one... I mean, not that that's without its challenges, but Lily had a huge challenge ahead of her where her audience from YouTube either would have to follow her or she would have to find some way to gain the love of mainstream viewers. Um, A lot of brown people rise up doing the dance. We've seen it, right? We've seen it with uh, early South Asian rules in the 2000s. And then after appealing to white audiences, breaking into more, um, I guess, characteristic roles, uh, authentic South Asian roles. Um, And we've said it. It's walk so they can run, right? So I feel like because of the walk, Hassan was able to stand out as someone who and now granted I'll add this to this but Hassan chose not to compromise on his brownness whatsoever in his show not in his specials not in his show right still others are bringing their brownness into their shows and I love that even if it's only fraction you know a fraction of what they do right I think my favorite thing about Lily is when she brings in brown guests like when she had Jay Shetty and uh, Humble the Poet or when she had um I think her name is Subha, Subha Agrawal, when she had Malala, when she had, I think she had Deepak Chopra on there. She did. Like when, whenever she has brown guests, I think we see the most authentic side of her. Or like the RuPaul episode where she got to talk about uh, being bisexual, we got to see an authentic version of her there. So whenever she has guests that reflect who she is, we see this really authentic version of her, which I think is really strong coming out of YouTube. You know what I mean? Yeah. I also want to point out a couple things about Lily. And this is us acknowledging that she is being critiqued for her show and the writing on her show and her performance. Lily got the... Um, this show in part because she was one of the top YouTubers for a decade. Okay. Over like 4 million subscribers or something like that at her peak. So she went from speaking to a camera to speaking to an audience to speaking other people's words. So there's a transition there when you don't have the support system around you to make you successful. And she pointed out that she was inclusive in her hiring and that meant she sacrificed the soft power of white agency, right? So she doesn't have a white person advocating for things or, you know, her jokes aren't from a white perspective. And I bring this up because when you search on YouTube for clips of Lily Singh, it's clips of Lily Singh cringe. Eight minutes of cringing at Lily Singh. And there are a few from brown people. There are legitimate criticisms to be had about the format of the show and the presentation of information. Um, and one of those things that they say, unlike Hassan and Cal and Asif, she gets told a lot, especially by white men, based on who's producing these videos that I watched a lot of yesterday, that her identity as a bisexual woman of color, she brings it up too much. <laughs> yeah, she addressed that in that RuPaul episode. And she was like, yes. there's nobody else like me in this frame and format and time. Why would you expect them to talk about their cis het white maleness? <laughs> white maleness. 
Yeah. Exactly. And then the other critique they have about her is that she addresses the critique. And so <laughs> I'm like... Fucking what can you do? It's it's literally she's damned if she does and she's damned if she doesn't. And let's remember the reason she and Hassan had this talk about mental health was she had a breakdown that caused her to step away yeah. for a while. Right? Right. And I also just want to point out we're talking about them as all being talk shows, but she's the only one who has a late night talk show. It's a specific format that is different than what Hassan and Cal are doing. A. And B, as we talked about, she came from YouTube. So why would you not expect her to address her critics, like address, address her haters? That's like that's a thing she did on her YouTube channel. Like that's just a part of her personality and a part of the pers- persona she has created. So I don't know why you would expect anything different. It's OK when Jimmy Kimmel does it and it's not OK when she does it. Right. It's okay. They get a pass. Yes. And then C, she's the only one out of all of them who is on a major network. Also, yes. A major network deal for more than eight episodes a season. You know, she not detracting from from that at all, but she's responsible. Five days a week on a limited budget. Correct. I think it's somewhere in the arena of 90 episodes. Uh, That's what I saw on IMDb. So like... She, they've done a lot. And, and the thing is, is that the criticisms are coming. And when, like, I keep thinking, okay, show me the consistency of your criticism across all talk show hosts. And then maybe we can have a conversation. But you know, that's not what it is. Yeah. And the other, the other thing I don't think, and we'll get back to loving on Cal after we stand up for our sister for a second. But the other thing I don't think people realize is that how many Indian people and diasporic people exist on this planet. That's how she became famous all over the world because the racism and marginalization we face and the pressures we face from our parents are universal. So she will have views from around the world making up that millions, but those people can only view her streaming, right? Like that's how you make up the audience kind of stuff here. But NBC is not supporting her at all. There's no summer content there's no and any of the new content she put out she had to put out on her own channel so when you're talking about the success of this show and you're putting it all on her shoulders she is new to this industry so how dare you you know how dare you not recognize she's not being given the tools to survive she's a trailblazer in this respect because there have been no women of color hosting late night shows on major Wanda Sykes had a short-lived thing no so there's nobody to go to to talk about the pressures or maybe how would you handle this it's only white men in that space yeah thankfully we now have Amber Ruffin as well but um and and look we're not saying Lily's perfect we're not saying everything she's is your tummy hurts you're laughing so hard that's not what we're saying we are saying that your criticisms are inconsistent and it's and it's a little it's a little hypocritical. A little? A lotl. So, um, yeah, you know what? She's got a lot to work on, but she gets to work on it with her recently renewed second season, Eat a Dick, but only if you don't like it. <laughs> uh, but I just To that point, I just wanted to... I, I noticed when I was looking at the IMDb pages for all three of these shows, Hussens has a rating of like 8.5 or something. Um, Cal's, and he's only put out four episodes. Is that... I want to say six something. And then Lily's is one point like six. And it's literally all just one stars from butthurt white dudes who, who think that she talks about her her identity too much. That's 
basically every criticism. And, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at this. We're not saying that because she's Indian, you have to like it. We're saying you need to contextualize where the critique is coming from. Right. And if you're going to critique her, you need to offer solutions. Like, as a brown person, I don't watch this show because I forget it's on. Like, and that's NBC's fault, right? I, I record it and watch it uh, most days. <laughs> Actually, it depends on whether I know the guest because I don't do late night shows anyway. So my my compromise is that if I know the guest, I will watch it. Otherwise, I will not. <laughs> but also social media. A lot of her clips are online. And if you follow her, it's easy to watch her clips that way, which is the number one way I've consumed. So now that uh, we have paid our proper respects, we can head into the... The, the main event, which is our celebration of this recent creation of Calpen. Um, here is the summary of his show from Freeform. Hosted by Calpen, Calpen Approves This Message is a smart, irreverent, unscripted comedy series that explores issues relevant to millennial and Gen Z voters. Each episode consists of comedic field pieces, as well as sit-down interviews with Cal and a featured guest. With topics ranging from voting basics to voter empowerment, the economy to climate change, the series breaks down key issues young voters are passionate about and arms them with the tools they need to make an impact and vote. So, this show is clearly aimed at younger people in the vein of Linda Ellerby and Nick News. It's breaking down things in chunks. It's similar to Hassan's show in that it is information coming at you really fast. But just know when you're watching the show, it's meant for people new to civics and people new. I would when I watch a show without knowing that Freeform said this, I thought this is a good primer for new immigrant voters. Like, you know, if you don't understand anything what's going on, you're just an immigrant, you're working, you don't pay attention to any of the big issues. I think this is a good show for that. So it's broken down, like the description said, they are going in the first act, they are going to present something and explain all the ways it may affect you. In the second act, they present a subject matter expert to talk about how this topic affects them personally or what they're doing to change or make a difference in this space. In the third act, they talk about action items and things you can do. And I love the action items. They're the best. Yeah. And then in the fourth act, there's a wrap up about what you've learned. And then not quite a moment of Zen, but it's called awesomeness or something like that. And out of the four episodes that we've all been able to watch, there's six episodes this season. So the very first episode is Cal Penn Approves Our Democracy, um, in which he celebrates the ways that young voters have already changed the world and equips them with the essential tools to make their voices more impactful than ever in this election. And this really is just where he kind of introduces the comment, the, the sorry, the premise of the show and um, the youth focus of it. And he starts with Marcy Martin um, asking for her advice about how to target the youth better or whatever. Um, and she gives a pretty good detailed answer about you know just talk about the um the topics and equip them with the knowledge that they need he had marcy martin and he also had dolores huerta as his first real guest that he interviewed which was cool um features people he did a whole bit where he he they interviewed apparently people who are somehow still um saying that they won't vote and what their reasoning was and he asked dolores huerta to kind of um address those concerns so one of the issues was just that 
somebody who thought that both parties are are the same, um, that nothing seems to change, that income inequality is increasing under both parties and it make, doesn't make a difference. And uh, and her answer to that was pretty great, um, in which she was like, well, the only way to change that is to vote. And otherwise, those resources still go keep going to the top. Um, and then the other non-voter was like, well, my vote doesn't count because I'm a liberal in a red state. My vote doesn't count anyway, to which she was just like, but you still have to vote. <laughs> which makes us go, Ugh. Yeah, we're all we're all liberals in a red state. We get it, but it will never not be red if the people who are liberal don't vote. <laughs> like, that's, that's how you change things. But to me, that's the ultimate l- lesson learned from Beto is that he got people to come out and we're like, oh, wait, this is actually a purple state when blue people actually show the fuck up and vote. <laughs> we just all had to give it up for so long. <laughs> gerrymandering does that plus of course there's also the issue that even if it's a red state you can still vote for the local elections where you can make an impact and then grassroots y'all grassroots i just want to commend dolores huerta in not cussing on camera during hearing those (laughs) because i cussed listening to them i was like have you are like not you just coming in here unprepared to ask a question did you know dolores huerta was going to answer your question and make you look stupid no, they probably did not know that. <laughs> and she's probably used to answering people's dumbass questions anyway. But yeah, <laughs> she did a great job with it. The Laura Suerta is too old <laughs> and too tired to be dealing with this shit still. Well, what Ugh. else was in that episode, Andrew? Um, he also did a, a bit where they interviewed Vote 16 USA, which is a group of young people, 16-year-olds, who are organizing to try and lower the voting age to 16 because they are young people who want to participate in our democracy and cannot do so yet. I love this segment so much because it showed me some young women who are so empowered at such a young age. I would have cried if I wasn't dead inside. I was truly moved. I love how dry those kids were. They were just like no nonsense. Please don't distract with your foolery. Basically, like, don't you see the world (laughs) is burning? Can you stop making jokes? Yes, but I did appreciate the other side of that coin, the debate raised here. And that's one of the benefits of the show. When you understand more about what's being presented here, it is truly, um, you know, not in the word is not inspiring it's thought provoking because the opposite of vote 16 was disenfranchised 72 or whatever it was called <laughs> it was like older people um who are set in their ways and are easily confused and all this stuff should not be able to vote after 72 so that was hilarious mostly just because they got actual old people to come up and be like yeah we shouldn't be able to vote <laughs> And that the kids were just like, we're not trying to take away anyone's right to vote. We're trying to expand voting rights. <laughs> like You got this entirely wrong, dude. This is not what we were trying to do at all. These young people um, are on message all the time. I love to see it. <laughs> just keep that rage going for the next couple of decades, please. Yes. And then he um, he introduced his action steps. So the macro step was for people who want to get actively involved was to to volunteer to be an election worker because we desperately need younger poll workers this year. So that was our the macro step. And then the micro was to text five people, you know, and ask them about their voting. Are you going to vote? Just are you going to vote and then keep it going? Yes. So strong first episode. Um, his second episode was approves education. Cal Penn approves education. And the description of this episode is the world has changed and so have higher education options. While exploring issues such as income equality, jobs and student debt, Cal takes a look at life 
after high school and the interrelated value of different paths. First of all, Britta Filter, Drag Queen from Drag Race Season 12, was on this gag. So, um, for those of you who watch Drag Race, that's what you can see. Also, uh, Drag Out the Vote is a big um, movement going on this year. Also, I believe uh, Drag Out the Vote is having a... A special that I'm going to be watching, I think, tomorrow. I'm so excited about uh, with Broadway stars and drag. Sorry, side note, I'm like that. Um, this also features Bill Nye, which was a, an incredible throwback. I loved it so much. And Hillary Clinton, I started crying when she appeared, and I'm still so fucking bitter. And they played a little game, and it was really, really cute. Um, Something that meant a lot to me in this episode was that Cal brought out the importance of STEAM. So not just STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. Um, he threw in the A, and I've seen this in a Frankly, I have a bubble of artists, so I see STEAM all the time. But that he brought it up on this show, calling out the importance of arts curriculum. Like, I'm going to faint. Like, <laughs> one of my favorite burns in this whole episode was that he was talking about how uh, people in Congress don't understand the importance of the arts. Like, it is freaking important to have arts in education. Or we end up with people who are not innovative and not creative and we don't evolve. And those people who don't understand, maybe they're just, like, out of touch and maybe they need new skills was the burn. <laughs> and I was like, mmm, maybe they do. So, anyway, uh, loved that. I uh, love that he actually brought in AI and robots, uh, the topic of that. Super great discussion, something we don't have to be afraid of. And he talked about girls who code, which was so great. Um, and one of the action steps in this episode was to talk about, you know, if you feel like being uh, a girls who code facilitator in your region, do it. And that's so crazy because I'm learning coding right now. And it was really inspirational to hear that. Um, and just talking about apprenticeship, he's tying everything back to voting. And I just love that he does that. He circled back to the whole point of this entire series, which is to educate people about what they can bring with their vote. So that was episode two. Pooja, you got episode three. I got episode three, but I just want to shout out that Girls Who Code was founded by Reshma Shujani, who also hosts a great podcast, which we will put in the show notes because your girl can't remember her name, uh, the name of it right now. <laughs> uh, but episode three was about judges. Cal Penn approves this message on judges or whatever. So this episode starts off acknowledging that RBG is dead and that RBG had some kind of freaky ass friendship. Well, not in that way, but with Antonin Scalia, who is the devil incarnate to me, to me, to me. Um, ale allegedly, allegedly. So unlike Miranda's gag me, I'm going to insert a gag me with a spoon here for that. Um, but that was a transition to talk about the Supreme Court and the life and death rulings that are facing them in the upcoming term and why the Supreme Court should be on the ballot. And the way he couched this discussion was talking about how the Supreme Court directly affected civil rights. He, you know, talked about Ruby Bridges being a contemporary of your parents, actually, you know, of our parents. So talked about how through the Supreme Court, same sex unions are legal. So these are issues that are important to millennials and gen Zers or Zoomers or 
you know, new immigrants who should all be watching this show, new immigrant voters. The He also goes through and explains the nomination process, does a lot of shitting on Brett Kavanaugh and his love of beer. I know this rightfully show is free. So. Rightfully so. And I think um, he, then he also talked about the nomination and the confirmation process. And to the interview, there are two interviews in, in this episode. The first is Yellow Pain this rapper out of Ohio who was inspired to write um, a song about voting because his cousin is running for Congress in the 10th district over there. And she had to explain to him, this is why you should vote. This is why this is important. And he was like real for real. And so the lyrics and the scenes of the music video that they played, this is a really good song. I enjoyed it. Cal Penn also in the video, <laughs> um, does his own <laughs> rap about the Supreme court. There's a Muppet involved. And I'll just leave that for you to watch yourself. Tell me more. <laughs> yes. So it was that was that was kind of funny. And that made me realize the show is for younger people because no adult would be like, why is there a blue Muppet in a judge's wig that Americans don't wear um, <laughs> here? Then they to sh the show is truly nonpartisan <laughs> because. For some reason, they had Jonathan Adler, the professor at Case Western Law University, who's also um, very heavily involved in the Federalist Society, which gave us Gorsuch, which gave us Kavanaugh, which gave us Amy Coney Barrett. Um, they are for a different episode, but the show is nonpartisan because he was on. And to Cal's credit, this is when I texted you that I thought he was a great interviewer because he kept it general. Why should yeah. the court be important? Why should young people care? And he, he tried to throw in his little, you know, point of view here, mm -hmm. but Cal didn't, they didn't keep it in, right? So it was a nice little interview. Um, you wouldn't know that man is evil incarnate from it. So I mean, to be fair, I guess nobody knows the importance of the Supreme Court more than the fucking Federal Society because well, they've been trying to hack it for decades. That's yeah. true. <laughs> and it was the one point in the episode that somebody pointed out that not that state judges and local municipal judges run for election. So to go back to that young woman's question, why young person's you question in the first episode, why should I vote? It doesn't matter. Local races matter more than national ones people and they're keeping you from voting in local races so you know that's that was episode uh three we're halfway through the season there's a fourth episode about health care and essentially it was about medicare for all uh there was again the presentation of information they go for the macro how this directly applies to you and this had another kind of Daily Show esque, Sam B Show esque um, vignette, but this time Ray, it was Rekha Shankar who went out to talk about GoFundMe for all, essentially because one of the the things of the show was after you're 27, you have to get independent insurance yourself, and here are the prohibitions, and here are the costs, you know, here are the systems of healthcare we have in this country, and there are always. 250,000 active GoFundMe for medical debt from individuals. So her clever um, wording of this was to set up GoFundMe for all. And she's talking to Mark Cuban. She sent him a PowerPoint. <laughs> Mark Cuban was like, to be quite honest, healthcare. I don't understand what you're saying. She's like, Mark, I'm trying to fix um, healthcare here. You know, it's GoFundMe for all. And Mark's like, and she's like, what? Medicare for all. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, 
Yeah, what are you talking about? So I just love the tongue-in-cheek stuff. Um, Rika is a writer and performer herself. She's been on the scene since 2015. I just love loved her. And the final interviewer of this was Adi Barkin. He is the reporter and activist who founded the Heroes Campaign. And he, you may, he rose to prominence in 2017 when that viral video came out of him confronting Jeff Flake on a plane telling him to vote for Medicare for all. That is the most powerful part of the entire four episodes I've seen. So for listeners who don't know who uh, Adi Barkin is, he also was diagnosed with ALS at some point in, long, in the last few years. And so he has gone from a healthy but bodied man to now being... Um, in a wheelchair and having a computer speak for him because he cannot actually like move. I mean, he can move his mouth. He smiled a couple of times, but he can't speak. So he speaks through a computer. So like he's been fighting for healthcare for all of us while actually actively going through this healthcare dying. journey of him. Yeah. Dying um, in public more or less. So it was a super really moving interview. He's incredible. He's just so inspiring. Yeah. So, um, this show is awesome. Like it, that cannot be contested. Like we urge you, urge you, urge you to watch it. It's not perfect. It has some problematic issues. Pooja, would you like to expand on that? There are a couple points and I just want to address them up front that the writing could be better on and it's unscripted. <laughs> so I understand that, but the editing could have been better. When Cal was speaking to Marseille in the first episode, I found it problematic that his riff, his banter with her included whether or not he should do the WAP dance. Do not talk to any woman under the age of 18 about WAP. Okay. Correct. That was, that was disturbing. And I understand it was to hit the TikTok um, um, trend of the moment when the episode was produced. I did not like that. There's a line in the healthcare episode where he says, Unlike my last gender fluid orgy, this can get kind of messy. Who the fuck is that line for? Like, who is that line for in an episode about healthcare? I get that you want to express this progressive value of gender fluidity and um and non-sexual repression. I get that, but what is who is that for? And sometimes gender fluid sexual orgies can be very neat and organized. <laughs> So, yeah, it's not perfect, but with those imperfections noted, we do say this is a show you need to check out, especially um, for its content and its relevance at this moment right now. Now, granted, at the time of airing this episode, um, Election Day will have been over, but it is still important. Everything in the show is still worth checking out. And beca because, because why? Elections happen every motherfucking year, yes. not just every four. So it applies annually. <laughs> yeah, I am. I'm curious to see how, how season two is going to work. It'll be interesting. Yeah. And um, we do have more episodes we have not seen because they haven't aired yet but hopefully by the time uh this episode airs you will be able to see all of them so coming up is cal pen approves the environment and cal pen approves voter empowerment so make sure you check those out um on to 
Um, I think we wanted to talk about what we liked best about like his format, the way that he does interviews and the various segments that he has. Um, I really liked the, we already talked about it, but I also, I really liked the, um, the action items that he has and the way that he does macro and micro ones at the end of every episode. So to, like, it's kind of a choose your own adventure, like how, how much energy and time do you have to put into this? Here's the thing that you can do that takes only a small amount of effort. Here's the thing that can, that you can do that maybe takes a little bit more engagement and involvement and, that's a really cool way to end every episode. I like that a lot. Yeah, I'm definitely keeping the Girls Who Code facilitator thing in the back of my mind as I learn coding myself. So I I do appreciate that that's been put in my brain. You know what I mean? Um, I love that Calvin's show helps make a bigger pie. You know how some people are like, I need to get my piece of the pie. Well, that metaphor does not fucking work. There is no pie, limited pie here. It's always make a bigger pie when it comes to South Asian representation. Hassan had Netflix budget and took advantage of his art of stand-up, which he crafted to a T, his use of graphic design, which was award-winning, by the way. Calpen pulled this off in the middle of a pandemic and made it look like a deliberate show, which is awesome to me. Also, did anyone catch the Indian version of Sometimes It Be Like That? Like, in the theme song? I love it. Also, um, Pooja, you caught who this person actually was, but did anyone else notice the uh, photography that was behind Kyle's head when he was doing the interview? I know I saw it during the interview with Hillary Clinton. I think it's on the set period. But there were pictures of indigenous people. There was a picture of Stonewall. Uh, there was a picture of an astronaut. And I was like, I need that story. Pooja, you actually found out who uh, the indigenous person was. Yes, it was Chief James Garfield Velarde. And there's a story there. It's um, the specific picture was a photograph after they moved that tribe to the reservation. And it's in the Smithsonian, that actual photograph. So I think I'm going to talk about that's one of the things I loved about the show as well, was that these photos behind him are large enough that you can reverse image search if you take a photo of it or a screen capture yourself and learn about it that way. There's nothing in their show notes or anything that tell you who is back there. So it's, if you're curious enough, you're going to find out. So I like that aspect of it. When you talk about action items, that's like a passive one. You don't even realize you have. I love the tongue in cheek nature of the show a lot that music video and how he showed it to the rapper uh, was like, did you see this Ted Cruz video? I just like that. And that's evidence <laughs> of it being unscripted and things like that. But I also love the true attempt at nonpartisanship that they're having here and the way that they are threading the needle about issues. The very first episode was called um, Cal Pan Approves This Message. And who did he have? Dolores Huerta. Like, workers' rights queen. You know, James Brown is the queen of soul. Cesar Chavez and Dolores Huerta are the queen of workers' rights. Like, I just... For a show that looks like it's done on such a little budget, the connections he's made to have the caliber of voices 
telling you about their experience and what they know based on that experience and their careers in this field is so refreshing as opposed to a wolf blitzer telling you what to do a dana bash no no shade but there's something different about having the boots on the ground people share what needs to be done versus the um observations of a pundit and i loved it i loved it i love the segments that are a nod to the daily show because you know that's what reaches people every other show does it why not continue the trend and like you're saying andrew I just, th- this show has longevity in it because it seems like it's a shoestring budget to produce something that's very effective in terms of what the messaging and what it's trying to do. Like, I brought Linda Ellerby at the top of the show and I've been thinking about her a lot. She's been dead for, I think, a decade now. But Nick News was truly something, like somebody recognized that young children need to understand what's going on in the world. They need to be able to contextualize it. And this is an attempt at that. Granted, it's for an older audience, but I just think more of this is needed because we just need everybody to be educated on civics. And one of the most powerful things he said at the end of that first episode was, I vote for people who can't, who have to drive where $6 yes. worth of gas means so much. That that should be the sound clip Freeform is playing every day until Election Day. Like that was made me tear up. Yeah, no, that was brilliant. Um, I also really love that it's a show about civic literacy, because I remember in 2016, that was one of the main things I came away with was like, we need civic literacy in this country. What the hell? Like, people do not understand how things work. And it just felt so essential that people understand how our government works, because we were taking it for granted. And and we've seen the slow slide into fascism over the last four years, which makes it even more clear that we really need people to understand what we have under democracy and what we are at stake of losing and how these things work and that it takes active involvement from all of us to make it work. So I love that that's what Cal decided to do. Um, I just want to say that back in season one, we did our fuck, Mary kill version or whatever. And uh, <laughs> I, I don't remember if we all chose Cal Penn to marry. I know I did. And I definitely feel validated in that choice. <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and listen to the episode. Listeners, you might as well, too. It was a pretty funny one. I think it was one of the episodes of Sex and Lies. Anyway, um, I, yes. I I do... I, I, I agree with both of you ladies. Like, he really took advantage of this moment of curiosity. Because I know every young person's like, the fuck? And like, why is this happening? He's taking advantage of the natural curiosity kids have right now. And going, here's the information. Here's how your government works. Here's how your vote can work. So he's amazing for that. And we thank you for joining us as we give Cal Penn his due. And we urge you to watch the show. We hope you watch it. Tell us what you think. And, you know, leave a comment. Like, share, leave a comment, subscribe. You know, all the things on all the socials at Jilted Indian Pod. This has been Miranda. Anju. And Pooja with the Chilted Indian Podcast. We came with love and courage and hope you go in peace and power. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Jilted Indian Podcast. The Jilted Indian Podcast is an independent production produced by the hosts Miranda, Anju, and Pooja. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your podcatcher of choice. Follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jilted Indian Pod. For more information on episodes, including show notes, visit JiltedIndianPod.com. Indian Pod.com.